0: Thank you. Thank you all. The article that Susan read from was written in 2012. Let me offer a few more recent examples of what it describes. These are headlines from this past couple weeks. January 23rd editorial in the Washington Examiner from Kumbaya to Karl Marx how the left's diversity equity inclusion agenda has hijacked campus culture An article by DD Guttenplan in the most recent issue of The Nation titled Which side are they on advises progressive democrats to put down the lyric sheet to Kumbaya if they wish to be taken seriously and show principled defiance of the party leadership. An article by Matthew Dooley in the February 1st Daily Express is headlined, No Kumbaya, Battle Over the Debt Ceiling Rages as Biden and McCarthy Set for Sit-Down. And quotes Neil Bradley, Vice President at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, as saying, Just like in 2011, it's not going to be real kumbaya. These are both seasoned leaders who understand what it takes to get things done in Washington. Suffice to say that when you hear the song kumbaya mentioned in popular culture, it is rarely cast in a positive light. Rather, it associates the song with an idealistic fantasy land of togetherness that ignores the realities that we face and is completely at odds with what is called getting things done. I found examples of this in the world of Unitarian Universalism too. Here is one. Emerson Finkel in a 2018 article entitled A Warm Hug of a Place, Reflections, on Reimagining Interfaith, posted on UUA.org, warns against a, quote, kumbaya mentality when approaching interfaith work, which holds an overgeneralized message of oneness, love, and peace without addressing the underlying differences in our religious or spiritual traditions, inspiring us to engage in the work in the first place. So kumbaya is used to criticize what is considered to be a flimsy and sentimental view of love and community. And I get where all this is coming from, and I have also come to find it troubling. Troubling in two ways, at least. First, putting the actual song to the side for the moment, it is troubling because of a slippery slope From rejecting a flimsy and sentimental view of love and community to rejecting love and community as flimsy and sentimental. You see what I mean? In this overwhelming desire to be seen as tough and pragmatic, realistic, clear-eyed, we become suspicious at best and supremely doubtful at worst that love has any place in addressing the issues, the conflicts, the world as it is. Many years ago, I was in a political chat room after the WTO demonstrations in Seattle. Remember those? People filled the streets in 1999 saying that the way things are going The way the World Trade Organization and the World Bank and the major corporations tied in with the most powerful governments in the world want things to go does not have to be the way it is. And I had been chatting with a man who was rather appalled at my support of the demonstrators. He gave me all kinds of strong economic reasons and theories on why I was wrong, and the demonstrators were wrong in their demands. But somewhere in the midst of the conversation, I found out that he identified as a Christian. So I found the passage in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. Now, certainly, I said, if you believe in the teachings of Jesus, these have some ramifications for the work of the World Trade Organization. No, he said, You don't understand. That's religion. This is economics. You hear what he was telling me, right? You don't understand. Don't give me that kumbaya stuff. Don't give me that love and community stuff. Even if it came from the scripture that he held sacred, this is the real world. And that idea is not just coming from unnamed individuals in political chat rooms. President Obama, remember him? (laughs) President Obama was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2009 and curiously took that opportunity to justify war. He first hearkens back to the words of Martin Luther King Jr. in his acceptance of the award in 1964. Martin Luther King said, Violence never brings permanent peace. It solves no social problem. It merely creates new and more complicated ones. He hearkens back to that, and then the former president quickly stepped away from that truth. As someone who stands here as a direct consequence of Dr. King's life work, I am living testimony to the moral force of nonviolence, he said. But I face the world as it is and cannot stand idle in the face of threats to the American people. For make no mistake, evil does exist in the world. Now, you may hear that and say it makes total sense, and I will not argue the points raised. I certainly have no idea what it's like to be president. I I am troubled by some of the unpacked assumptions in that statement. But I face the world as it is, and King didn't. Evil does exist in the world. Would that be news to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr.? I don't mean to turn this into a political debate, but I simply want to highlight how easy it can be to fall into this attitude across all political, cultural, religious perspectives that, yes, love is fine, but this is the world as it is. Yes, understanding one another across divisions is wonderful, but evil really exists. Yes, kumbaya is a great song, but we ain't going to fix things with kumbaya. And the underlying message is that if we want to get really serious about things, we have to leave all these high-minded values behind and go to war. To be tough-minded, to be practical, what's love got to do with it? We may cringe when we hear the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun, but that philosophy pervades our culture far beyond any question about gun control. We talk about war as a last resort, but underlying that statement is the belief that it's the thing that really works. And what makes us believe it works, I wonder? How have we come to forget the words from Nobel Peace Prize Martin Luther King, who said, violence never brings permanent peace. It solves no social problem. It merely creates new and more important, more complicated ones. What makes us lose faith in the power of love? It's all too easy to slip from rejecting feeble and false expressions of love and community, which, yes, should be rejected, should be exposed. But it's easy to slip from rejecting what some may call the kumbaya mentality of flimsy and sentimental expressions of love and community, to slip from that to rejecting love and community as flimsy and sentimental, certainly not up to the task of facing the world as it is. Is that what we believe here? Is all of our talk about the power of love just that talk? Let's talk a little about the song itself. The way that the song is referred to in popular culture, the kumbaya Shorthand, is it fair to the song? No, (laughs) no, it is not, and don't take my word for it. This is from a 2016 article by Kimberly French Summer that appeared in the UU World about Issei Barnwell, Unitarian Universalist, amazing singer, composer, teacher, founding member of Sweet Honey in the Rock, responsible for three of the most profoundly beautiful songs in our teal hymnal breaths, we are and wo ya ya. She, Issei Barnwell, turned solemn and angry talking about how kumbaya, which means come by here in the Gullah language, has become snarky shorthand for feel good or weak-minded group think. A soulful cry sung by the Georgia Sea Island slaves. The song was carried on by southern blacks in the time of Jim Crow and lynch mobs and later by the Freedom Riders when they learned three of their workers had been murdered by Klansmen. When people say it was a kumbaya moment, she says it clearly was not a kumbaya moment. It's actually an invocation for God to come by here now because things are needed. If you hear people use it mistakenly, she says, gently correct them. <laughs> gently correct them. You see, the song is not a feel-good, let's ignore the real world so we can pretend to like each other kind of song. It is rather a cry out to God to love in moments of pain and suffering, to come, to heal, to bring justice and hope and restoration. Another black mother is crying for her son, a son who cried out for her as he was beaten to death by police. Another black mother is crying, Lord, come by here. More families and friends are mourning their loved ones killed in another and another and another and another and another another shooting. Come by here. Migrants are traveling to this country fleeing violence and poverty, seeking opportunities to care for themselves and their families and being used in political games with no concern for their humanity. Lord, come by here. People are falling through the cracks, the yawning chasms in our economic system and finding themselves in this neighborhood without homes and without income and without a net to catch them. Come by here. Someone's crying, mourning, struggling. Someone's in trouble, Lord. Come by here. That's the song. O Lord, O love, come by here, spirit of life, come unto us, come into us, giving life the shape of justice. You have inspired members of this congregation to really engage with what inclusion means and to learn how we can come to be an ever more open community, to provide access to immigrant legal services, to provide food to those in need every Wednesday and throughout the week in little free pantries here and in the wider community, to host this benefit concert, to support undocumented immigrants sponsored by Cal Poly students, for immigration justice, to volunteer and open our parking lot to shower the people, to bring people together to work on climate issues and climate justice, to work alongside and support the work of People of Faith for Justice and Race Matters and the NAACP in anti-racism work, to expand our commitment to the words of the eighth principle in holding ourselves accountable to this work and in highlighting and embracing the centrality of love in the Article 2 proposed revision. And there are so many other ways and inspirations that are happening and are just waiting to happen. Spirit of life, let the stirrings of compassion lead us to deepen our understanding that we may expand activities and opportunities that matter, that you may move in our hands and our hearts giving life the shape of justice. Because we believe in the power of human beings to bear love into the world, as the words of our chalice lighting written by Rachel Hayes, chosen by Allison Ritger, reminded us. And we believe that that love is powerful. That without love, our words are vain, the prophet thin. I can inspire thousands and give all I have and do all the right things. But love is the key. Love is what brings it all, us all, everything together. Let me see if I can shut my phone up now. My phone is saying, we've heard all, I've heard all this before. (laughs) Jesus. Another uh, argument against phones in church thing. Hopefully it won't talk back to me now. Issei Barnwell in teaching a particular chant to a group she led on the African-American tradition of community singing, said, I don't know a translation I can articulate, but in Central Africa, someone will start singing this chant whenever there's discord. They'll sing as long as they have to till the community is ready to move forward and the spiritual leaders can come in. It may take hours, even days, Barnwell then directed the group to sing the chant as a round and there was the surprise. The simple chant became a dense jungle of sound. Words dissolved and each pair of syllables undulated in waves around the room. The constant low um, 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 was insects rubbing wings together. The hootie the calling of a bird delighted with their creation. One singer observed the chant didn't sound like humans anymore, but like a spirit sound. Another noticed she had to sing softer to listen to everyone else. Isn't that a concept, listening to everyone else? Barnwell joked. Can you apply that to conversation and negotiation? These skills are not isolated. They expand us all, she said. They expand us in all kinds of directions. Which makes me wonder if all those people who wish to face the world as it is and get things done, who are so sure that nothing will come of singing kumbaya together I wonder if that isn't exactly what they need to do. In that spirit, I'm going to invite us all, you may rise as you wish, and we're going to sing Kumbaya again. It's a great hymn that's listed in our order of service. We'll sing it another time, but I, I, I think it's time to sing Kumbaya together again. Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. Oh, Lord, kumbaya. Someone's crying. Someone's crying, Lord. Someone's crying, Lord Kumayya. Someone's crying, Lord Kumayya. Oh, Lord Kumayya. Someone singing, Lord. Someone singing, Lord Kumayya. Some. Sing, Lord, whom I Someone sing, Lord, whom I Oh, Lord, whom I We'll keep trying. We'll keep trying. Kumbaya.